Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's podcast. Thank you, thank you, man. Amen. Amen. Good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and open up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, we're going to look at that in just a minute. But as Joey was sharing, I couldn't help but think about... Uh, when he said, go clean, go clean your room, get, get up and go, there's a guy who uh, you may know of. He's an author. His name is Francis Chan. He has several books out. I highly recommend him to, to read. Crazy Faith is the one that most people know him by, but he just had a book come out called Letters to the Church. And uh, there's a video series that accompanies it. And one of the stories he tells is of his daughter who comes home and he tells his daughter to go up and clean her room. Her name is Rachel. He says, Rachel, go clean your room. And she says, okay, Dad. She goes upstairs, and about 60 seconds later, she comes bouncing down the stairs, and he says, did you clean your room? And she said, no, Dad. No, but I know what you said. You said, clean my room, clean my room, clean my room. I got it. Clean my room. He said, you need to go upstairs and clean your room. She goes back. About 60 seconds later, she comes back down the stairs. Rachel, did you clean your room? No, Dad, but I memorized what you said. Clean my room, clean my room, I have it memorized, I have it memorized. He said a friend of hers came over about that time, he sent him upstairs, he said, go clean your room. They go up about 60 seconds later, they come back downstairs, he said, Rach, did you clean your room? No, Dad. But we sat around, and we talked about how awesome it would be if my room was clean, how cool, we strategized about ways that we could clean my room. And he goes on in this video and he says, I'm making all that up simply to say that's what we do a lot as the church. We know what Jesus has told us to do. We've memorized what Jesus has told us to do. We sit around and talk about how cool it would be if we did what Jesus told us to do. At some point, we have to go do what Jesus told us to do. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Before we dive into our scripture, I just want to say a word of thank you to, uh, to our church, to you, uh, for your... Uh, uh, just your, your giving, your hearts, uh, your participation over the last week. I mean, we had a busy Easter week. Our worship team and media team just went over and above. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, a great Monday service, a great Friday service, a great Easter service, a great... Did we have a sat? We didn't have a Saturday service. I, okay, we had a lot of services. I lost track. Uh, but thank you. It was a wonderful, wonderful week. And we also wrapped up our study in Mark. For the next four weeks, we're going to kind of look at, uh, if you'll indulge me, some pastor favorites for the next four weeks, some passages that I personally really love. And then we're going to look at parables for about four weeks. And then when we get into summer, just to kind of let you know where we're headed, we're going to, uh, during the summer months, study the book of James together. So I hope that you'll... Uh, be prepared uh, on this ride. I've got to be honest with you, just listening to our songs this morning and what Joey shared, uh, and I don't know, I, I know some of you have told me, and, and I appreciate it, I don't know what you gained from our study of Mark, but I want to be transparent and tell you as one of the pastors 
the study that we've gone through in Mark, if it was only for me, then I hope that our church will receive the benefit and the fruit of what God taught me during this study. And uh, I was challenged. I was especially challenged over the last few chapters because when we get into what we're going to talk about today, uh, and Joey said it and the song said it, folks, we're on this planet for one reason. It's to bring Jesus Christ glory. That's why we're here. If you and I are still breathing, that's why we're here. I know culture and our own desires, and not, they're not all bad desires for family and for things and materials and schooling. And I know all those things are just, that's part of life. I'm not saying all those are bad. But they're bad when they become more of a priority than bringing glory to Jesus. And that's why we're here. Uh, His glory is greater than our story. He wants to use our story, our testimony, what he's done in our life. And I, I found something. I was going through a notebook and I found something that I wrote uh, five years ago. Not knowing that in April of 2021, I would be standing in front of you all. It's interesting how faithful God is. And sometimes it's good to write things down and pull it out and you look back and go, Oh my goodness, wow. This is the group, Lord, that you were talking about five years ago. I had no idea. So if I get a little emotional today, it's because I was thinking about and praying for you five years ago. I just didn't know it was you. (laughs) Uh, And here's just some notes that I wrote. Uh, God, I am praying for a group of people that would see that every believer is a missionary. That would know that we are all missionaries, not just the lead pastor or one of the pastors, but that we all are missionaries. I'm praying for a group of people that would have a personal desire that every person on the planet would have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ without having to go anywhere. And then I wrote down four kind of promises I felt like God gave me as I've been praying for this group of people. Number one, whatever God is going to do in the world, He's going to do through all of Christ's people, the church. Number two, whatever God is going to do through all of Christ's people in the world, He is going to do through leaders who empower their people as their first priority. Number three, whatever God is going to do in all the world through Christ's people, He's going to do primarily through a decentralized structure. What does that mean? That means outside of our Sunday morning corporate one-hour-together experience. He's going to do it in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your workplaces. Number four, whatever God is going to do in the world, distance from our local church's circle, He's going to do through the resources of the church. I pulled that out, just was flipping through a notebook this weekend, and I came across that, and then I thought, wow, here we are. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. How appropriate. So if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 9, just uh, four verses really, that are powerful. Last week, we looked at the conclusion of Mark, and uh, this is kind of Matthew's account. You may have skimmed through this story when you read Mark's account. We didn't talk about this in the sermon. You may have talked about it in your small group study or Sunday school class study. But Jesus was alluding, even when he was walking with the disciples, what he was about. He was even foreshadowing and telling them, here's what you're going to be asked to do after I leave the planet even though they didn't really pick it up until they saw him crucified and then when he appeared to them and then when he ascended. He was giving them hints all along the way. They just didn't pick up on it. So here it is in Mark chapter 9. And as you know, I'll, 
I'll stop along the way and just make a couple of comments. Here we go. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now let's stop right there. If you go back and you study all the things that Jesus said, the majority of the time he talked about the kingdom of God. Very little, only two times can I find in the New Testament where he actually talked about the church. The rest of the time, he talked about the kingdom of God. Now, does that mean the church is not important? No, that doesn't mean the church is not important. The Bible tells us the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But the church is important. Why? Because the church is the tool that God left behind to bring about the kingdom of God. That's why we're important. What happens a lot of times around the world, especially in North America, especially in the buckle of the Bible Belt, is we begin to think that the church is the priority. And as much as it was great to see 200, I think, 38 people here last Sunday, and God is sending us people from all over this area. If you haven't noticed, try to get around in rush hour. I feel like I'm in Atlanta, Georgia some days. I'm like, where's the skyscrapers out here on, on Bennett's Bridge Road? Because there's so much traffic. God is sending people here. And I, I'm grateful. If you're visiting this morning, we're glad that you're here. But I want you to know, our job as the staff, as the pastors, as the leadership, as members of Crossroads Baptist Church, is not to grow Crossroads Baptist Church. Newsflash. It's not. It's to grow the kingdom of God. If we see the kingdom of God and we put our attention on the kingdom of God, He will grow the church. If we put our attention on the church, the kingdom of God may or may not grow. And so I have pastor friends that I know struggle with this. I struggle with this because I love you and I love our church and I do want people to come here because I want them to experience what I experienced the first time I came here. But if I always share about our church, our church, our church and get your attention on our church and the programs and the things that we do for our church, I'll never get your attention out there outside these walls. And if I never get your attention and mine outside these walls, we'll never reach the kingdom of God. So that's our priority is the kingdom of God. Jesus went from town to town preaching about and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The church is built, if I can say it this way, in the wake of the kingdom. I don't know how many of you have already been out on the boat this spring. Anybody been out on the boat yet on the lake? Okay, a few of you. I'm waiting for my invitation, by the way, just saying. <laughs> this summer, many of you are going to be out on the boat. You might be out there water skiing. Any water skiers in here? Any slalom skiers? Okay, Lyle knows how to slalom good. I learned how to slalom by accident one time when I broke a ski off of my right leg. It was not fun. But if you've ever water skied, you know that the safest place to be is in the wake of the water behind the boat. And what God is trying to tell us, what Jesus is trying to share with his disciples here is, if you will focus on the kingdom of God, if you will point the boat in the direction of the kingdom of God, in the wake of the boat, the church will be birthed and the church will grow. And so what was Jesus doing? That was his mission. That was his focus. And he was going out, the Bible says in that verse, in verse 35, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Verse 36, and seeing the multitudes. Now, i got to stop again because I was, I was reading this again this week. I saw that word. He was seeing the multitudes. I have a question for you. And God just rattled my cage all throughout the study of Mark. And if there's only one takeaway for you from this passage of Scripture this morning, maybe this is it for you. Jesus saw the people. 
Friends, I have a question for you. This is just what God's been asking me. Do you see the people? Do you see the people? Do I see the people? Am I so busy building my own little kingdom, my own little life, my own little household, my own little world, that my attention is not on the people? There is a group of people, thousands by the thousands around this church, who are dying and going to hell, who are hurting, who have gone through everything we've gone through, COVID for the last 14 months, who have lost family members, who have been ostracized, who have been alienated, who have been isolated, who are full of loneliness and anxiety. And it's so easy for us to, whoa, it's me. What about to get in our own little world that we don't see the people? And as I was studying through the book of Mark, I'm just telling you that whole concept just kind of, the Lord was just kind of like, wake up. Do you see what's going on? And not seeing in a way that you see and that you complain. You look at things that are going in the world, politics and, you know, our morality and all those things that you see that and you go, oh my goodness, God, look at that, look at that, look at that. Wish somebody would do something about that. And maybe all the while God is saying, I have somebody who's going to do something about that. You're the one talking. Right now, we have to see, we have to open our eyes and not be so busy with our own agenda that we can't see. Jesus saw, it says, he felt compassion for them, verse 36, because they were distressed and downcast. The New American Standard says, distressed and downcast. Great words like sheep without a shepherd. Some translations say helpless and harassed. I like those too. Boy, if that doesn't describe our world. Helpless, harassed, downcast, distressed. That is the world that is around us. So where is our compassion? I wrote down this question in my notes. Jack, do you remember being helpless and harassed? It's hard for me to remember. I still feel that way occasionally sometimes, but I have to reflect way back to think when I first came to Christ, how helpless and harassed I was, because that was a long time ago. But if I think really hard, I'll remember. It wasn't a great feeling. It wasn't great not knowing where I'd spend eternity. It wasn't great not knowing that Jesus was alive. It wasn't great not knowing that my sins had been forgiven, my penalty of my sin had been paid on the cross. So Jesus says to his disciples... After seeing the multitudes, he says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest harvest field, some translations say. So what is Jesus saying to us? He's simply saying this. All of us, need to find our gardening tool. Because all of us in here have hands that will fit a gardening tool. And some of us find out, I got to build a fence for a friend of mine this weekend, or Friday, Saturday, and I have a couple of band-aids here to prove it, and a couple of blisters that I form, not doing a lot of gardening. Some of you do great at gardening, but Jesus is asking for us to grab a tool and to go out into the harvest field and partner with him to do some work. So this morning, I just want to go ahead and kind of tell you up front, at the end of the service, the invitation will be, will you be willing to grab your gardening tool? 
For some of us, it's a rake. For some of us, it's a shovel. For some of us, it's weed killer. For some of us, it may be whatever. God has, for each of us, a tool to use to go out into the garden and to do His work. So I want to share with you this morning just a few things about this harvest that Jesus is talking about here and how we can get involved with Him This morning, here's the first thing about the harvest that we need to know. Number one, there is a value in the harvest. There is a value in the harvest. Every person in the world has value. Not because I think they have value, but because Jesus says they have value. They're made in God's image. Now, i got to be honest with you, that's a hard pill sometimes for me to swallow and maybe for you to swallow. Because when I see some people blatantly, passionately criticize the things of God and basically say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And figuratively, if I can say it this way, forgive me, I don't mean to be profane, but figuratively kind of give the finger to God because of their hatred in their heart then if I was God and you should be glad that I'm not, I seriously would just say, you go to hell. I really would because I I do not have the kind of compassion that I should have. Some of you are looking at me weird when I say that, but all of us, if we're honest, have said that about somebody. Whether it's a political figure or a celebrity or something that you've heard on the news where you're just like, that person is so evil, they just need to... And what you and I maybe unknowingly say at that point is that that person has no value. That person, the most evil person that you can come to mind in your brain, is valued by God. He gave His Son on the cross for that person. Now, yeah, that person has to come to terms and confess their sin and come to know Jesus, yes. But they have value. People who disagree with you and I have value. I remember sitting across from the table, I think I've told you this story before, with a young mid-20-year-old guy who's chosen a a way of life that he knows is wrong. He was brought up in church, thought he was going to do ministry, and sat across the table and I had a conversation with him, and he basically just said, I don't believe any of that stuff anymore. And I could feel inside, welling up in me, the wrong emotion, welling up inside of me was anger that he was mad at God. Let me just tell you something, give you a little bit, take, take some heat off of you. God can handle it. God can handle all the hate that humanity can throw at him. He's strong enough to handle it. And you may be a child of God and you may at some point in your life, believe it or not, come through trauma or trials where you hate God. And if you've never gone through something like that, well, hallelujah that you never have, but I just want to give you a yellow caution flag. It's coming. It's coming because that's the world we live in, and Satan is the great tempter. And he's the one who, when we go through those storms of life, messes with our mind and causes us to think that God's done this to us and whatever. Woe is me. And we can start to get mad at God. And if that ever happens to you, by the way, this is not part of the notes, I would just encourage you, go find a field that you can stand in and just scream at God and let Him have it. Go get a Louisville slugger at Walmart and go to the junkyard and ask Him if you can just have one car and give Him 10 bucks for a car and just wail on that car and get it out. Because God is big enough to handle 
your temporary hate. People are valuable. People are valuable. And I don't know about you, but part of my tweaking in my brain is I think about people having value. I've had to make this switch, and maybe this will help you as well today, because I was brought up in the church, and I learned a lot of of, values techniques, if you will, to sharing your faith, and none of those are necessarily wrong in and of themselves, the four spiritual laws and the Romans road and some of those things that some of you who brought up, been brought up in church know how to share your faith. But listen to me, sharing your faith is not a project. The person that you're trying to share Christ with is not a project, they are a person. And if they sense that your only reason of sharing Jesus with them is because, well, you're my project that the church has said, I need to go reach one, so you're my project, then where's the power in that? The power is, as we just sung, is to go in Jesus' name, recognizing they're a person, valuable, made in the image of God. One of the things I love about our young people, I used to be one, is because young people can read through that pretty quickly. I think most people can read through it actually pretty quickly, but especially young people know, are you just loving on me because I'm a project? Are you loving on me because I'm a person? And I would tell you, church family, I want to love on people because they are intrinsically valued by God. Because his son gave his life for them. Second thing I notice about the harvest is there is a delivery plan. There's a delivery plan. Jesus said to his disciples... The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, hello, disciples, I have a job for you. The workers are few. God's delivery plan, his plan A is for us to go out and to share the gospel with people. That's our role. Do we all have the same role? No, we have different roles. Some of us use a rake. Some of us might use a shovel. Some of us might use a watering jug. But we're all supposed to be a part of the harvest. And one of the great things that I love about this church is your heart to be a part of the harvest. There are some churches that think, the members think, that the role of people reaching the harvest is for the pastoral staff. Leave that to the professionals. You show me that in God's Word. It's not in there. The role of going into the harvest is for every single one of us who know Jesus. And what's amazing, and I'll say this, and you may think, wow, I never thought that Pastor Jack would say that. The least important person in this room, and I'm not saying this to be falsely humble. The least important person in this room is the person up here on this platform right now. There are people that you work with, go to school with, live in your neighborhood that will never, ever, 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 ever come hear what Jack Eason has to say. But they'll listen to you because you work with them. And they know you. And you have the relationship with them. I don't have the relationship with them. You do. That's why God puts you there. Which is awesome. So if all of us would take our tool that God's given us and go out into our particular area, that's the delivery plan. God's plan, plan A. And what that also tells me that God's plan is plan A, it tells me that we have to do this together. The power of togetherness, the power of collaboration. That's why if you were here 
I guess four or five, six weeks ago when we had one of our dear friends, Toby Dix, come up on this platform before we started the service and we prayed over their church plant right down the road. We're not doing that just to kind of go through some formula or to kind of put him up here and just act like we're friends. We are friends. We want their church to be successful and fruitful and reaching people in this community because we want to reach people in this community because it will take all of us to reach the 50,000 plus people that are moving into this area. I signed up for this thing that we get uh, by email a few weeks ago. At some point, Lord willing, we will probably roll this out church-wide. But it's for ministry staff to be able to get an email with a list of people that move into this area. And we get it about every week, every other week. And since we signed up for that about two and a half, three months ago, maybe you're here because you got a welcome letter from our church, if you are welcome. Every... uh, email update we've got since we signed up, there have been not less than 40, 35, 40 people on that list who have moved to this area, new names, people moving to this area that are within a five-minute drive of this church. Now, my question would be to us as a church, what are we going to do about that? What would be really easy And I'm off script, just sharing my heart with you for a second. What would be really easy, and Lynette and I were talking about this the other day, as one of your pastors would be, you know what? I'm 52 years old. We have a great group of people that I love. They seem to love me or they fake it really well. I'll just love them and we'll be nice and safe and comfortable and we'll grow in here as we have been. But once we reach capacity in here, we'll, we'll, we're, that's it. No more welcome. No vacancy in the end. We're closed. And I probably could ride that train for about 10 years or so just in time for retirement. And then go, see you guys later. Most of you know me enough, well enough by now to know that's not this guy. And if that happened, I'd have to say, time for me to move on. And if I ever get that way in my heart, I hope God forces me to move on. Because there are people in this community God is sending here that need Jesus from all over the planet. That They're moving to Greenville, South Carolina. Why are you? I need to ask a survey. Why are you moving to Greenville, South Oh, it's the Liberty Bridge. That's what it is. Downtown, that's what it is. No. The friendliness of Crossroads, maybe. Could it be, could it be that for so many of you in this church family who have been praying for years, and I know I've heard the stories, that when people pass by this church, they would sense the Holy Spirit of God. Could it be that God is answering the prayers you prayed long before Jack Eason showed up on the city? I think it could be. I think it very well could be. It has nothing to do with this guy. So if God's starting to answer those prayers, my prayer is, will we be ready because we are his delivery plan? Number three, quickly, there is optimism in the harvest. There is optimism in the harvest. The fact that Jesus says there's a harvest should make us excited. And I'm, I'm usually the eternal optimist. It's my personality. Some of you maybe are not. That's okay. We have made differently. But it should make us be optimistic that the harvest is still out there. There are more people Jesus wants to see come into his kingdom. 
So despite all the craziness and chaos in the world, there are more people who are ready to say yes to Jesus. We just have to go find out who they are. Number four, there's a Lord of the harvest. There is a Lord of the harvest. He says, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. It's the Lord's harvest. It's his, it's his responsibility. It's his job. We have a responsibility too in that we get to partner with him in that. But who is ultimately responsible for the growth in the harvest? Jesus is. That takes the pressure off of me. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity where you had a conversation, a gospel conversation, a Jesus conversation with somebody. And your heart's beating out of your chest. That happens to me every time. Just because I do it more often doesn't mean it gets any easier. Every single time my heart starts beating. And I'm like, oh Lord, oh Lord, Lord, please don't let me say the wrong thing. Like all the responsibility is on me. I'm not that powerful. God just calls me to be faithful and to open my mouth and speak and share what God's done for me and in me and through me. And leave the results to Him because He's the Lord of the harvest. But what are some things that we can do real quickly? Let me share a few things that we can do. Number one, we can prepare the soil. The Bible uses, and those of you who are gardeners and love to plant, I know you love this. The Bible uses a lot of agricultural imagery when it talks about evangelism. Crops don't simply happen. Some of you know that. You're already starting to get ready for planting and doing different things, and I need to learn how to do that. I planted two stalks of corn last year, and neither one of them did a thing. I didn't know. I didn't know. And then Pastor Jim, Jim Curtis goes, you can't plant just two stalks of corn. That's not going to do it. You've got to plant a whole field of corn. So you do have to do the right thing. You have to prepare the soil and make the soil ready. Reaping the harvest doesn't simply happen. And church family, we live in a culture, not just when it comes to church things, but when it comes to almost everything in life right now. We live in a culture where everybody wants results, but very few people want to do the work to get the results. Manual labor is not a Mexican person. Manual labor is getting out and doing physical work. There's an illustration that talks about two, uh, two farmers are riding down the road. They have a farm on either side, crops on either side of this road. They stop in the middle. The farmer on the passenger seat looks out at his field on the right, and it's nice and green, and things are growing, and on the left, not so much. The farmer on the left side who's driving the vehicle looks at the other farmer and says, Man, you're, you're, look at that. Your crops are doing so great, and everything's so green and lush and beautiful, and it's just growing and everything. And the farmer who was sitting in the passenger seat, yeah, you should have seen this when God had it by himself. I'm not sure what I think about the illustration, but the point being, we can't just say, God, go do it all. And there's a big theological mindset moving throughout the church that you may or may not be aware of, where most people think, well, God will just do it. I just sit back and enjoy grace and I'm along for the ride. That's not what the Bible teaches if you're breathing and I'm breathing, God has a job for us to do. Otherwise, he might as well just take us out. And that job is to be his spokesperson on the, on the earth. So we have to prepare the soil. Number two, there is a process involved. And if you're planting, you've got to make sure the ground is cleared. You've got to make sure it's 
plowed so it's ready to receive seed. So the question that I wrote down for me is, okay, God, if that is true, how can I participate? How can I partner with you to get the soil of people's lives ready to hear? If I'm going to share Christ with a friend or have a cup of coffee or glass of iced tea with a friend, Lord, what can I do? What is my part to do to help them to be receptive to your Holy Spirit? What can I say to them? And that requires number three, what Joey mentioned earlier, prayer. Prayer. We've got to be willing to pray. That's a big part of preparing the soul. Number four, we've got to plant. We've got to plant. That means we actually, just like the story of Francis Chan's daughter going upstairs and coming back and just saying she's got everything memorized, at some point we actually have to share the gospel. We actually have to have the conversation. We actually have to plant the seed. And for you and I, what that means, I think, uh, in a big way is we have to go hang out with lost people. I grew up in church, had a couple youth pastors along the way, and they were great, but I would often hear, and our youth pastor would never say this, and I'm grateful for Heath, I heard youth pastors say over the, over the days to uh, young people, just stay in your Christian bubble Be careful who you choose as your friends, and that's rightly so. You need to be careful who you choose as your friends. Bad company corrupts good morals. The Bible tells us that. That's true. But if you so far remove yourselves that you're in your Christian bubble, and all you do is listen to Christian music, go to Christian places, do Christian this, Christian that, you're never going to run into lost people. And probably the hardest person in here that that is for when it comes to engaging lost people are the pastors i can stay busy all week doing spiritual jesus stuff for you guys and never have a conversation with a lost person if i wanted to that's not good how can i tell you to go out to your workplace in your neighborhood and share jesus if all i'm doing is sitting behind a desk at the church just working on minutes from a meeting i got to be doing what the Bible says I'm supposed to do too. So I've got to be planting the seed. And if our mindset is, especially in our culture now, is to think that we can just walk up to one person and share Jesus, and they automatically go, Oh, I need the Lord. Might happen. Probably not. Statistics tell us that the average person requires about 7 to 14 presentations of the gospel before they're fully persuaded to follow after Jesus. So I've got to be content that I might be number 5 or number 6 in 14 conversations. So what does that tell me when I think about that? You know what it tells me? I might be this in that person's life. I might be the soil getter ready person. And you might wind up talking to that same person a month later. You drop a seed in. And somebody else comes by another month later and they, they keep watering. And somebody else stands on a platform and they go to a Good Friday Easter service. And they hear the gospel of Christ and they come down at the front. But you know what we do most times? Most times when that happens, we look at the pastor and we go... Wow, that was a powerful sermon. They listened to you and they accepted Jesus. I'm not that naive to think it's ever me. 
It probably was 13 other people who made an intentional investment in their life and shared Jesus. All I got to do is be a part of the fruit at the very end. So folks, you're important. You're important. God has a role for us to plant and to cultivate. And the last thing is this, to reap. To reap. And when you reap, like that person who would maybe come down at the end, That's when the angels of heaven celebrate over one lost sinner coming to know the risen Savior. We get to reap. And my prayer in 2021 is that our church sees a lot of reaping from a lot of things that you all have been sowing over the last 5, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years. I believe that's what we're seeing right now. How how can I not get excited because I'm seeing fruit happen from things that many of you invested in long ago, long ago. So here's the question as we wrap up this morning. Are are you planting seed? Are you willing to partner with God? Are you willing to do your part? Paul says it this way. I encourage you to check out 1 Corinthians sometimes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's what Paul said. Paul says, who is Apollos and who is Paul? Servants through who you have believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But God who causes the growth. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So my question is this, will you take responsibility for the harvest that is around you? Because God has placed you right smack in the middle of a harvest field. At work, school, online, neighborhood. One of the things that we talked about a little bit with some of our leaders and staff when the COVID pandemic started... We were already thinking, okay, where do our folks at our congregation live? And how could we group together in our neighborhoods to reach our neighbors for Jesus? I'm not going to say that I'm glad it seems like things are opening up, or I'm not glad. I am glad that things are opening up and things seem to be slowly moving back. But we never really got to flesh that out. Because if there had been a pandemic of sorts that we never got to meet corporately like this again. If we all were of the mindset that the harvest is around us. Then we would have seen little churches popping up in neighborhoods. Maybe even in your home reaching people with the gospel. This opportunity is fantastic. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is great. I love this. One of the highlights of my week is coming here seeing you worshiping with you. But this is the pep rally to go out tomorrow and share Jesus with the lost world. This is not the end game. This is the beginning kickstart to go out and reach people with the gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts today. Lord, I I thank you for the way that you have spoke to my heart over these last several weeks. 
Lord, as we've looked at your life, the way you healed people, the way you fed people, the way you called people out to follow, the way you silently were led pretty much to the cross, to rise again and to be reminded of our role, and that is to share Jesus with the world. How can we do that, God? Would you, right now in the quietness of this moment, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just give people creative imaginations. How can we do that where you've placed us? How can we do that in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our community? Maybe even in our home. It starts at home. It starts at home, as we heard this morning. Friends, while you're praying right now, just in the quietness of this moment, the invitation is twofold this morning. The first, first one would be, for those of you that know Jesus, I would just ask, Will you be a part of God's plan A? Will you take responsibility for the harvest field around you? And this morning, if your heart's desire would be to do that, you'd say, I want the Lord to divinely open up opportunities around me to share Jesus with my friends, co-workers, neighbors. If that's the desire of your heart this morning, I just want to ask you to stand to your feet and just confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Show me how to do it. Give me the words to say. Lead me to the neighbor, the work co-worker, the person. You just stand to your feet. Tell the Lord that's the desire of your heart. Ask Him to show you where that needs to happen. To give you those opportunities. Give you the power of the Holy Spirit to know what to say. When you're through with that prayer, you can you can have a seat. While those friends continue to pray, maybe you find yourself in this place today. God has sent you here. Maybe you've been here many times or this is your first time here. So glad that you're here to worship with us today. Maybe you'd say, you know what? I need to surrender my life to Jesus Looking back, people have planted seeds in my heart, in my life, and people have come by and encouraged me to follow after Christ, and they've watered that seed, and today I just need to confess that I need Jesus Christ. I need to acknowledge that He paid the debt of my sin on the cross, and He forgave me of my sin, and I want to accept His free gift of grace and follow after Him. If that's the cry of your heart today, and you've never said yes to Jesus, never followed Him, Never become a child of God. If that's the desire of your heart to do that today, will you just stand so I can pray for you? Won't embarrass anybody. But if that's you today and you just need to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite you just to stand right there where you are. Father, thank you for having your way today. As we sing this song of invitation, I pray that you'd continue to, to move in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and have a song of invitation. If you need to speak with anyone or you'd love somebody to pray with you, I'm going to ask Heath Carruth, our student pastor and teaching pastor, to come join me. If you want to make any decision that you made to the Lord, uh, share that with he or I. Feel free to do it. Or if you need Jesus today, we'll be standing here waiting. Would you stand? Let's sing together.
hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you, or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.